Good evening, Ralph. Good evening. What's your name? Hello, Simon. Simon's always on time. Hello. I'm glad to see Simon with us. It's pathological. What can I do? That's a good pathology to have. Very good pathology. I think more. I wish more people had that pathology. Wow, everyone's coming in. Great timing, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Welcome, Lily Naz, Jamal, welcome again. Betsy, Saul, Mr. Garson. Noah, welcome. Zev, great to have you again. Michael, Orhad, thank you for helping me just a minute ago. Felix, welcome. Joseph, is it snowing? A little bit. It was, not anymore. <laughs> just like us in London yesterday. Great, we'll just give a couple of minutes for everyone to come through. Rav, do you want to make me co-host? Oh, you have yeah. already. Thank you. And welcome, welcome, welcome. Hefzibar, welcome. Rav Phillips, good to see you again. Rav Arasi from JLE, great to see you. Uh, where's Avi? Just so I can make him co-host while I let people in, or I'll just do that with Isaac Dweck. Yeah. Isaac, welcome. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Everybody wants to be behind the darkness. Yeah, come on, guys. Cameras, please. Cameras. Away from the dark side of the force. I see. <laughs> we work with them too. We work with that. <laughs> welcome, Mr. Bafor. Asaf, welcome. Great to see everybody. Michael, Avi. Avi, I'm going to make you co-host just so that you can let people in while I do the intro, if that's okay. Sure, no problem. Uh, I think the Rob needs to make you co-host. I don't think I'm able to, actually. Rob, can you do that, please? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. This is Avi. I lost him. Oh, there he is. There you are, Avi. Hi, Rabbi. Good to see you. You too, sir. Welcome everybody. Okay, let me see here. Right, just a minute. Great, welcome everybody. Great to have you all back for part two of the thoughts of Hacham Gagin by Hacham Joseph Dweck. Great to see you all again. Um, not much housekeeping this week actually, just like last week. Things are developing very nicely. We'll be coming back with some very, very exciting updates soon. Um, got a very interesting start to the shiur. Very, you know, emotional Beautiful start. and moving start. Very, very, very moving. I have to say, uh, I, I was reached. Uh, I was. I was. Uh, I received a message yesterday from a, a gentleman in Australia who was, who is the grandson of Hacham Gagin. Uh, and he messaged me saying that uh, he was made aware of a, a series that's happening at the Chabura, which uh, teaches some of ha the Hacham's works, and that his mother, which is the daughter of Hacham Gagin, was very, very moved to uh, listen to the shiur. And uh, I asked if there's a, a clip, something we could get from, from the, the daughter of Hacham Gagin, Fortune Gagin, and he went to visit her today and kindly... Uh, a, a video message was prepared uh, for Rabbi Dweck and the Chabura, uh, and it's uh, the Queen's English. You, you can really get a taste of the kind of uh, milieu that Hacham Gagin was was amidst. And uh, I'm going to play. Ninety-six that. years old, Mashallah. 96, 96. Ninety-six. She's the youngest daughter. She is indeed. And uh, he also sent some beautiful pictures and some manuscripts, and he will be sending some other manuscripts of unknown works, unpublished works. That please God, uh, when we have a publishing house with the Bet Midrash, that's something that we're planning, we can work on. So I'm going to just quickly share screen, show you a couple of the pictures that were sent. Uh, the Rav, if you want to do some commentating on the pictures, then I'm going to quickly play the two-minute clip that uh, Fortune Gagin, the youngest daughter of Hacham Gagin, kindly sent us. Okay, let's see. Where are the pictures? Here we go. So here are some... Actual manuscript. So take a look. Of, the, this is okay. the Hacham's actual handwriting. 
he he wrote out he 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 drew out the the uh, the opening of the book the shar the title page and that's his handwriting let's make it can you make it any bigger absolutely I mean, just let's look at his handwriting so he actually laid out the whole book as you can see right so if you look underneath the top it says you know madua nahagu israel that's the halacha or the 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 uh, the minhag well here he's asking reasons for why it is that we do certain things and uh, below that, he's writing essentially in Rashi script. Uh, and that was the menhag of many of the Svaradim to write like that. This is not what they call nus'alam, which means hatsi kolmos, or half half pen or half pencil. That's a different kind of script. This is more uh, Rashi type of script. But you can see, so he's writing the footnotes in the bottom. And he crossed out, or he, this was published or taken. But uh, it's beautiful. And he has the margin. That's him. How old is he in this picture? I, I wasn't saying, you just said as a boy. Little boy. Yeah. A little boy. That's him and his wife. That's a more famous picture of him, you can see. That's a wedding, I think, at Ramsgate. That's him when he's older. Yeah, he's older yeah. there on the right. Wearing a tuxedo and his signature in English. Right, so that's what we've received uh, from images so far. And please God, we'll be receiving many more and uh, some of the Teshuvot and, uh, and manuscripts. And the, here is the video from Fortune Gagin and you will hear the grandson of Hacham Gagin in the background. It's her, it's her son. It's uh, her son, exactly. So yeah. I would recommend everybody to make sure they're silenced because it's a little bit hard to hear. If, if you can get closer to the microphone, to the speaker, just so you could hear, you're going to hear some of the finest of Queen's English. Good evening, Rabbi Dweck. It's a great pleasure to listen to a lot of your work on my computer. Uh, I couldn't do it without my son, David, who understands computers far more than I do. So it's a wonderful thing. And not only that, but I listened to your words translated from the Hebrew, and a lot of it I never knew. So I'm thrilled to bits that I heard more about my father than anybody could tell me. And my father himself really didn't talk to us about uh, what he was doing and or so on, but he loved us. I know he loved us. He was a marvelous father. And he enjoyed thoroughly being a rabbi of the synagogue and the college. Today. Say who you are, Mom. Your name. My name is Fortune Gagin, originally. Pop's youngest daughter. We were seven children. And we had five girls and two boys, and we all loved him. And he was very jolly in many ways, of course serious in others when he was working. He didn't want anybody to interrupt him because he was working very hard at his desk. And we knew that. And he had books all over, bookcases, one, two, three, four, five. I can remember now about seven or eight bookcases in his library. And he was thrilled to have them. And he had them, uh, looked at them to probably uh, investigate the work that he wanted to do. No. So we were very thrilled. Just if God bless the congregation. So nice to speak to you, Rabbi, and uh, God bless you, and look after yourself, and how lovely that you've written this about my father uh, after his death 70 years ago. And it's wonderful, actually. I'm feeling very, very thrilled, and thank you for taking the interest in my father. God bless there we go. I have to say, it's still, I saw it, this is the, I think the second time, third time that I'm watching, it's still so moving to see. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. Amazing. She's 96. Unbelievable. Amazing. So, but it's so nice to hear not only, you know, the description of the hacham, but she remembers, you know, as a child, what he was doing. There was a lot of books that he didn't talk about what he was doing and for her to hear, you know, what he was writing. And so it's uh, very moving and I'm very grateful for that. Very grateful. So it's good. thank you. The stage is yours. All right, everyone. Welcome. Welcome. It's good to see everyone tonight. And I'm glad to be able to spend some the hour with you. I've decided tonight that instead of doing some of the fiery stuff as I promised, because you already got a taste of it, I want to do one whole treatment of a particular of a particular issue that that the Hacham deals with. And you see very much in this treatment the manner in which he um he thinks in the way that he dealt with it. And this, this tonight is, is the question of Birkat Kohanim uh, with the Kahal. 
and in general, the idea of Birkat Kohanim among the Sephardim, and for that matter, among the Ashkenazim. And so he, he addresses it in his Keter Shem Tov, because he, of course, it's part of the daily service, or, or it's question as to whether it should be part of the daily service. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Hacham's treatment tonight of Birkat Kohanim. And in this, you'll also see that there was some uh, very serious issues around it in Amsterdam connected to Shabtai Tzvi and the congregation there. And he's going to mention Hacham Yaakov Sosportas, who was a Hacham in Amsterdam, and he was the first Hacham here of the community in London. And uh, there were issues around that. So, so uh, without further ado, let's get started on the, um, on the issue. And here it is. So we're going to do, be doing a lot of text tonight. We're going to be reading a lot tonight. So bear with me. Um, but here is the, the issue. I'll make it a bit bigger. Is that good? Everybody can see. So again, his nice little uh, his nice little rhyme. Birkat kohanim yekara mi peninim. He says that the Birkat kohanim is more precious than pearls. And of course, that's a pulling from the pasuk. He always takes from the pesukim and plays on them. But he, he says it, he makes a strong statement saying it's more precious than pearls, the Birkat kohanim, not to be treated lightly. And he opens and he says, I'm in Hagbe London. The custom in London, Shabirkat Kohanim Neemeret Mepiha Shliach Tzibur. It is said by the Shliach Tzibur. And what that means is that it's not done, right? In other words, the Kohanim don't go up to the Teba, excuse me, to the Hechal, to bless the Kahal in London. Uh, rather, the Hazan, the Shliach Tzibur, says the Birkat Kohanim. At the point in the Amidah, when he's repeating the Amidah, the, 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 the Hazan says, Chutz, that's the way that it's done in London every day, except Miyamim Tobim, on the Yamim Tobim themselves, the Shilosh Tregalim, Pesach Shavuot Sukkot, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Shekohanim actually nosim kapehim. On those days, on the Yamim Tobim, the Kohanim go up and they do Birkat Kohanim. Today, in London, the Minhag, in our Kehilot, in all of our Kehilot of London, because there was a vote of the community, of the Yehidim, we do Birkat Kohanim on Shabbat as well, which I'll mention towards the end as to why it is that that happened. We have to have a little addendum here to the Keter Shem Tov of the modern iteration of the Halakha that was voted upon by the whole Hecha, the whole Ka. Minhag Amsterdam. The custom of Amsterdam, they do it on the Amim Tovim plus Shabbat, right? And so too is the Menhag in the cities of Morocco to do Birkat Kohanim on the Amim Tovim and Shabbat. In Eretz Israel, in the eastern countries, the Kohanim have the Menhag to do Birkat Kohanim, to raise their hands and bless the Kahal every day. The Menhag of the Ashkenazim is only on the Amim Tobim, meaning excluding Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. However, the Ashkenazim that live in Eretz Israel, they flowed together with the minhag of the Sfaradim who were already in Eretz Israel to do Birkat Kohanim every single day, which the Ashkenazim, most the Ashkenazim in Eretz Israel do, and so to the Yemenite Jews uh, say Birkat Kohanim every day. So now let's go down to the footnote. We're going to be in the footnote for the, for the rest of the time. So he wants to unpack this, right? He wants to unpack the issue of Birkat Kohanim itself. Why is there a discrepancy with this? Yeah, why is there an issue with this where people are not necessarily just doing it in a uniform way? So he says, look, the old minhag in Israel, the ancient minhag in Israel, was that the Kohanim said Birkat Kohanim every day. It's explicit in the Mishnah. But that's what they used to do. They would do it in the Mikdash, and they would do it in the Batikneset. Any time, the only prerequisite, you, added a, you needed a minyan for Berkat Kohanim. If there was a minyan, they did Berkat Kohanim. Because, I scroll down? What? I scroll up, sorry. I, I, I mean, this is as much as I can do. Uh, you should be able to see. 
Can you see over here? Bechol Kohen? Yeah, yeah, we can within see. Within the frame. Any Kohen who does not go up to the Dukhan, the Hachamim say he transgresses three positive commandments. In reality, it's not actually three positive commandments. It's just that the command uses commanding terms. And so three times in the in the Pasuk. But of course, Peresh Arambam and Pasak Arambam, Berchot Nesiot Kapayim, in the laws of Berkat Kohanim, it's as if, because it's severe, it's given very strongly over in the Torah, it's re reinforced. But the reality is it's only one mitzvah, and that's why it's like three, but not really three. There's really only one mitzvah, and that is this is how you bless. Also counting the mitzvot, and mitzvah shin samechet, he says that the Beracha is a commandment to be carried out every day that the Kohanim have to do. And so too the Tur and Shohan Aruch or Posek, that that's the, 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 the uh, mitzvah that's supposed to be done daily in, in Shohan Aruch. Notice what they say though in, in the Shohan Aruch. The custom. The custom is to do the Berkat Kohanim. Lisa Kapehem literally means to raise their hands, to raise their palms, yeah, as the Berkat Kohanim. In Shahrit and in Musaf and Ne'ilah. That's when Berkat Kohanim is normally done. And of course, Ne'ilah is in days that we have Ne'ilah, like Yom Kippur and Ma'amadot, Ma'amadot, were special days of fasting and prayer that were instituted at times that were necessary. But we don't do Birkat Kohanim at Minha time. And the reason we don't do Birkat Kohanim at Minha time, which is towards the end of the day, is the Shekhi HaShikhrut. Why? Because uh, people tend to drink with lunch. And so you'll have a drink and you, won't, you, you don't want Kohanim that are Pasul for Avodah doing Birkat Kohanim. Kohen that drinks or eat, uh, a eat wine is Pasul for Avodah. There's an interesting thing my father-in-law says is totally parenthetical, that there's there were some poskim who held that the mitzvah to give or the 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 uh, halakha to give the kohen aliyat kohen only applied at shahrit and not in minhar later in the day, and the reason is is because the kohen probably drank in the middle of the day, and if he drank, then he's pasul for avodah, and if he's pasul for avodah, then there's no mitzvah of a kiddashto, and therefore you don't give, you don't have to worry about giving him an aliyah. That's not the case, but some some poskim wrote that. Still, the mitzvah of darkei uh, shalom, of, uh, and not to get the kohanim angry, because they're very easily angered, uh, should remain intact. So just keep it keep it as it's supposed to be. Okay, the Bet Yosef, the Bet Yosef, sof siman kov ha'chet, at the end of Siman Kov Chavchet, he writes, Dibur Anchot Katuv Od Sham Mordechi, Shibulea Leket, Beshem Ribar Yehuda. This is now the Bet Yosef. The Kohen Panui Enonoset Kapav. A single Kohen, a Kohen that's not married, should not do Birkat Kohanim. Ki Asharui Bilo Isha, Asharui Bilo Simcha. In a minute, you're going to see why this is important, right? He says, What's the reasoning behind it that a, a single Kohen should not do Birkat Kohanim? Incidentally, that's not the Alacha. We allow single Kohanim to do Berkat Kohanim. Maran, the Torah Tabayit, excuse me, in the Bedek Abayit, he says that certainly if there are other Kohanim there, then a, a Kohen who is not married should be able to do Berkat Kohanim. But today we allow Kohanim to do Berkat Kohanim, whether they're married or not married. The question is, uh, if they're younger than Bar Mitzvah, do they do Berkat Kohanim? And the Halakha, we allow them to do Berkat Kohanim with other Kohanim or older than Bar Mitzvah, but not by themselves. But nonetheless, the reasoning that's given for an individual who is not married to not do Berkat Kohanim is because he doesn't have Simcha, he's not married. And the whole thing around marriage is obviously a Simcha b'mono. And it is fitting for the one who is blessing to be in a state of happiness. The blessing should be done in happiness. Who's writing this? This is in the name of the Shibulei Aleket, right? And later Aharonim. Or later in Shonim, excuse me, Kaspava Haronim. Visham Bet Yosef Dibur Madhil Katava Gur, Shinishal al Maena Koanim Nosim Kapem Kholyom Harshum Zvatase. So you can see that even in the Bet Yosef's time, in Maran's time in the 16th century, there were people who were not doing Birkat Koanim every single day, mainly the Ashkenazim. 
We're not doing Birkat Kohanim every day. And they asked the Shibbole Aleket, uh, excuse me, the Agur, why it is that the Kohanim, <coughs> excuse me, don't do Birkat Kohanim every day. And so he answered, and this is the quoting of the Bet It's not the Bet Yosef himself. He's quoting the Agur. He said, well, look, I mean, the Menag of the Kohanim is that if they're going to do Birkat Kohanim, they like to go to the Mikveh first. So, and in the wintertime, it's tough, it's rough to go to the mikveh in the morning, it's freezing cold every day. And and so therefore, they established the minhag to do it only on Yom Tov. They don't do it every day because it's too cold and uncomfortable to, to go to the mikveh. Not only that, there's also, you know, it bothers them from getting to work. That's the Agur. So what does Maran do with that? He quotes the Agur, and Maran says, he, he, he takes issue with him. Why? Because saying that the reason why the Kohanim don't do Berkat Kohanim is because they need to go and do Tevilah is a Humrah that brings us to Kula. Why? Who said they have to go to Tevilah? Nobody said the Berkat Kohanim have to go, that the Kohanim have to go to Tevilah before they do Berkat Kohanim. Nobody ever mentioned this. You've seen the whole Talmud that a Kohen has to go to the mikvah before he does Berkat Kohanim? No, the mitzvah is Berkat Kohanim. That's a mitzvah deoraita. They decide to be mahmir, right? To go to Tevilah before they do Berkat Kohanim. And now that they don't want to go to Tevilah, they don't do Berkat Kohanim because they don't go to Tevilah. Because of that, they're going to nullify three mitzvot every single day, emphasizing it, of course. It's only one, as we said in the Rambam, but still. That's why you see now why Hacham Gagini opened it up with that rhyme. Berkat Kohanim Yekaram Pininim. The Berkat Kohanim is more precious than pearls. So Maran was taking issue with the Agur. Go, what kind of weak reason is that? Because they wanted to go to, to Tevilah before they go to Berkat Kohanim. Now that they don't go to Tevilah, don't do Berkat Kohanim at all. Whoever said you have to go to Tevilah for Berkat Kohanim? That's a hum, That's a perfect example of a stringency that has led to leniency. Now, it's important to understand here, how do we get out of this? Right. In other words, what's the what's the halachic logistics that allows for us to not do birkat kohanim when kohanim are in synagogue? So that is a legal. That's a legal thing. Why? Because which is not dealt with over. He he, he uses that as an as he, it's assumed. Right. That everybody knows that. But it's important to mention it. The only time that the kohanim have an obligation. To, that's why everything here is minhag, minhag, minhag. Why nahagu levarech? Say, it's a mitzvah levarech, halacha levarech. Why is it minhag levarech every day? The reason it's minhag levarech every day is because the obligation on the kohanim is not incumbent upon them. It kicks in only when the kahal ask them to bless. That's when it can, otherwise the Kohanim are not obligated to do the bracha. Why? Because it says in the Pasuk, by the Israel, this is how they should bless Bene Israel. Amor lahem. Say to them. What does it mean, Amor lahem? That's that's extra. They obviously just said by the What's Amor lahem? Again, Amor lahem. Amor lahem is that they have to be asked by the kahal to bless and that the words of the bracha have to be spoken to them and they respond. So it's as if to say, Kohanim, say to us Yibarecha, say to us Adonai, say to us Bishmerecha. And that's why we do the Berakat Kohanim that way. Therefore, if they are not called, which is why you'll hear the anybody who's been in synagogue at the time Berkat Kohanim, you'll hear Kohanim. The Hazan says, "Why does it say Kohanim?" He says that because they're being called on behalf of the Shaliyah Sibur, the messenger on behalf of the Sibur, to do the Beracha. If he doesn't call Kohanim, they don't have an obligation to do the Beracha. So that's why the whole question is around Minhag. Is it Minhag to say the Beracha? Not Minhag to say the Beracha. And that's why, by the way, if a Kohen doesn't want to say the Beracha, or for whatever reason is not able to say the Beracha, what we say to the Kohen to do is to leave the synagogue. 
when the Hazan says, Kohanim, because if he's not there when he was called, then he doesn't have the obligation to give the Beracha. And he can come in, but you can come in immediately after the Hazan says Kohanim and receive the Beracha from the other Kohanim. But he has to be outside when the Hazan says Kohanim, because otherwise he's going to be called by the Kohen. I was once talking to the head of the CCJ, the director of the CCJ, the conference of, of uh, the Council of Christians and Jews. And he was saying, you know, I was saying that I'm, a, I was explaining to him that a Kohen, he goes, oh, so you're a descendant of Aaron the priest. I said, yes. And he says, do you say the blessing of Aaron? I said, oh, you mean, you know, the blessing of the, of the priests of the, yeah, he said, I said, well, yes, but, you know, and I explained to him this whole thing with the calling and only when we call, and so we don't call, so we don't have to do the bracha. He was listening to me, he goes, that's so Jewish. <laughs> oh, technical uh, thing. In any case, so that, that's, it's important to understand that because that's what we're dealing with over here. Otherwise, how can we say we do it every day? We don't do it every day. The question is, really, the question is, how often do we ask the Kohanim to bless us? That's the question. So Maran is saying, do me a favor. What kind of a weak reason is that? Because they don't go to Tevilah? Who asked them to go to Tevilah? And because of that, they're nullifying a, a positive commandment of the Torah. How many opportunities do you have to fulfill Mitzvah Aseh Deoraita on a daily basis? This is Maran still talking. He says, God bless them. You know, strengthen, more strength to them, literally, to the people of Eretz Israel and the entire Malchut of Mitzrayim, of Egypt. Now, this is Maran testifying to the fact that in the 16th century, Eretz Israel and Egypt and the adjacent areas, and same was true in Syria, they did Birkat Kohanim every day. Nor do they go to the mikveh. They just do the, They just get about their business. They don't go to the mikveh first. This is a bit of a strange uh, paragraph over here. He says, He's quoting a book, but he puts the parentheses afterwards. He says, So too, in Yemen, it's their minhag to do so, and he sees this from this book, Toldot Tefillah, B'Shem Rabbi Ben Sapir. Vamhaber, Dr. Albogin, right, the author of this book, Lo yada, he didn't know, He only mentioned the Yemenites, he didn't realize that also in Israel and Syria and Mitzrayim and so on, they all do it. Every day, who came to live in Eretz Israel, following the Menhag of the Sfaradim, who were already there. So the Shibulei Aleket says very, very clearly that when it comes time for the Kohen, for the Shadiyah Sibur to say Sim Shalom, which means it's right after Hatov Shimcha Vechana Leodot, in that gap between the two Berachot, if there's a Kohen, he should be called to go up to the Dukhan. And if there's not a Kohen, then the, the, the Shliach Zibur continues with Eloheinu ve'la'avotenu, and he says those psukim of the Berkat Kohanim. And that's done in Shahrit, which is fitting to do Berkat Kohanim, Musaf, which is fitting to do it, Ne'ilah is fitting to do it, but not in Menha for the reasons that we mentioned before about drinking. And so too, we find that the Shliach Zibur is supposed to say Berkat Kohanim with every word, calling the words to the to the Kohen. And he says further, the Kolbo, Shilomotikin Berkat Kohanim Betefila. He's saying this in the in the name of the uh, Midrash of the Midrash Kotebarahu. That Shlomo and Melech established Birkat Kohanim in the prayer. Because remember, there was no formalized prayer in the Torah. When Torah says tell Aharon to bless the people, there was no context for it. It was just there was a mitzvah to bless the people. So He's saying that based on the Midrash, it was Shlomo HaMelech who instituted it into the corpus of Tefillah in whatever way they had Tefillah at that time. And in the first Pasuk that has three, three words, right? is Keneged the Shalosh Avot. It's nice, it's cute, right? It corresponds to the, to the three forefathers. Why? So that we should remember the Brit that was established with our Avot. Pasuk Sheni Hamisha Tevot. Ya'er Adonai Panav Elecha Vehoneka. Yeah? The five words connected Hamishahum Torah, like the five books of the Torah, Shkutavot and Torah, and Pasu Gimel Shabbat Evot, Isa Adonai Panav Elecha Vyasem Lecha Shalom. 
So those are connected the Shiva'arikayim, the seven heavens. And we say that the one who, 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 who lives or resides in the seventh heaven or above the seven heavens should bless you. So these are nice, you know, uh, hints to things. So he says, look, what we do learn from the kolbo, excuse my thumb over there, what we do learn from the kolbo is that um, the takana the kohanim should go up to the duchan mechol yom, that it should be done every day because Shlomo HaMelech established it in the tefillah. And that he wanted the Kohanim to bless the people every day. So Chacham Gagin is saying, how do these rabbis just nullify a Takana like that? The Jews of Babel, the Iraqi Jews, porosim kapehem betaniyot be'arvit. It says that they do berkat koanim on fast days and on Tisha B'Av and Arvit, which is a big question mark, because who, whoever does berkat koanim and Arvit, not sure that that's accurate. And in Menha, they do it in Menha as well. And people of Eretz Israel only do it in Shahrit of Tisha B'Av. Incidentally, the Eastern Jews do berkat koanim on a fast day also in Menha even though the original takana was not to do it in Minha, even of a fast day, so that you shouldn't make the mistake on regular days, because you might drink on regular days. And even though you don't drink on fast days, don't do it on fast days because of regular days. Why are people who are already in coming back in when they've been in? Is it just because they're getting stuck? I hope they're not getting thrown out or, or ejected. Okay, hope so. Cuts up the shiur. And so on. He says, if you want to know why the Kohanim uh, will do Berkat Kohanim and Menhav a Ta'anit of a fast day, you could see the Ritva, he deals with it over there. And so on. Now, the Ramah, right? Rabbi Moshe Serlash, who essentially is the source, he writes about the Menhag of the Ashkenazim, of course, outside of Eretz Israel. He writes in the Darke Moshe, Tam, he gives a reason why they don't do it every day. He says, why? The Ramah says, He says, well, the Kohanim are basically worried about their lives in Galut. They don't have time to do Berkat Kohanim. They don't have the mind or focus to do Berkat Kohanim. They're worried about just living and surviving. And because they're just constantly trying to live from one day to the next, they're not really very happy. Remember, so now you understand why at the very beginning we had this thing that was mentioned about this single Kohanim that the Bet Yosef brought, right? Why doesn't a single Kohen do Berkat Kohanim ostensibly? Because they're not happy. So he pulls on that, on that reasoning. And he says, look, they're not happy. And Shabbat, they're not really happy either. Why? <laughs> Because they're thinking about their work and their livelihood on Shabbat, even though they're not doing it. They're not really that very happy on Shabbat. Like they are on Yom Tov, because Yom Tov is a whole different story. They come every now and then. It's a big event. You know, Shabbat is every week. You get used to it. And so, not to mention there's a special mitzvah on Yom Tov. And so, we can't say that when the Torah commands us to be happy, that we're not happy. And so, we're not doing Merkat Kohanim. So, we might, you know, it's a little bit too much already, right? So, when the Torah says be happy and we're not happy, you know, okay. So, so the Torah said be happy. We work on being happy and we do Merkat Kohanim. But the whole thing is around happiness. Right? He says, the Rabbi Moshe goes, look, I, I'm a little bit iffy on the second reason that he gave about bitul melachad, they're not doing their work. Look, I can get that they're preoccupied on a weekday and they're not able to focus on Berkat Kohanim with any kind of joy, but but on Shabbat, you're going to tell me that they've got problems? Why shouldn't they bless the people? You want, to, you want to say, you want to say, look, I mean, you know, Shabbat comes every week. 
they're they're still worried about their livelihood and how they're going to manage things. They're worried about you know missing a day of work on Shabbat. But on Yom Tov, they're happy. Then he writes another thing. He says also there's a thing about goyim. What is it? There's some people that don't like to say if goyim are present in the synagogue. So if you have any anybody who's there doing any kind of work or whatever it is, and you never know when there's going to be a goy in the synagogue, so better safe than sorry. And don't say the Burkat Kohanim. Right? There's some places they will not allow a goy in at the time of the Duchanim, as they say. So he says, So Rav Gagin is saying, ah, look, I mean, look, the Ramah's words are the Ramah's words. What am I going to say? But this thing about the Goyim, says Rav Gagin, it's like it's like a, a, a sealed riddle to me. I don't, what, what is that about? Kimala Goyim Baze. What does this have to do with Goyim? Whoever said anything about Goyim, he says, look, I, I'll be honest. I did find in Sefer Bet Menuha, Shekatavim Yesh Nochriv Bet Akaneset Peshat Berkat Kohanim. He writes that if there is an, a non Jew, a Gentile in the synagogue at the time of Rakat Kohanim, Lefiadin Yesh Levarech. He says, to the contrary, you should say the Beracha when there's a Goy. Why? Not like these people we've heard that will not say And he wrote that in the name of the Hida, who wrote at the end of the Teshuvah Yosef Omitz and Simanai. He says, look, I don't have the Hida's Yosef Omitz in my library uh, to see the, the source of the words that were quoted by the Bet Minuha. And he goes, and the truth is, I don't know why should be different than any other part of the Tehillah, which we don't have a problem with the Goyim being there. He says, I saw with my own eyes, here in our synagogue of Ramsgate, he goes, I saw many times Goyim would come into the synagogue at Ramsgate. They would take a sidur off the shelf, our daily and occasional, which always was translated into English. Incidentally, you should know that from day one in our community, the sidurim published by our community were translated into the vernacular. We never printed sidurim without translation so that people should know what it is that they're saying. The first sidurim were translated into Spanish and then we translated them into English. And then there were, only, there were portions that were remained in Spanish uh, some portions in Portuguese, so that we would be able to understand. Till today, when we announce the mitzvot of the Torah, when we call people to say who's opening the hechal, who's carrying the sefer, who's doing the, the bells and bands, and so on, we all do that in, in Portuguese. We still say it in Portuguese. The reason it was originally done in Portuguese and kept in Portuguese, so people should know when they have a mitzvah. So we say that we know, okay, he's called for the thing, right? So we say so-and-so, abraos portas do hechal, and so-and-so, kilebarao sefer Torah, and the one who has to do the Hagbaah, Kedevantarao Sefer Torah, the Sefan Sharao Sefer Torah, we, we call all of those the, 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 the mitzvot like that. In any case, I just thought that it was, it, I always thought that it's, it's remarkable and beautiful that the Kahal from day one always published translation to the Sidur so that people should know what they're saying. Um, because, and it shows you the relationship that, that they had, to, that the Kahal had to the Tefillah and that they had to the Kahal that this was a congregational engagement and not just the engagement of people who are just saying words in order to be able to fulfill a mitzvah. It was very sensitive to the, to the state, the mind of the Ka'al, always. So he says, look, I've seen goyim pull sidurim off the shelves uh, in Ramsgate, and they take it, that it, they're translated to English, umit palalim mila mila, and they pray with us word for word. Ubifrat biyom kapurim, especially on Kippur. Fascinating. Notice that he didn't throw them out of shul, right? He didn't throw them out of the synagogue. He welcomed them to the synagogue. He said, I saw it with my own eyes. I saw that that's what they do here. He was the hacham. Hamayen, haolech betzedek. He goes, Look, if you look at this stuff realistically and appropriately and you study it right, you will see and understand. That the reasoning of the Ramah, Dahuk Mikol Sad, is difficult on every side. 
So this is Hacham Gagin. He's saying, look, if we're being real, if we're going to be honest about this, the Ramah's reasoning, it doesn't fly. It doesn't, it doesn't work. It's really, really difficult. Look, let's take this idea that he says that on Shabbat people can't have happiness. Okay, happiness. But we have to indulge in joy and, 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 uh, and delight on Shabbat. It says, You should call Shabbat a delight. So the same way that it says Shabbat should be a delight, as it says on Yom Tov, so you can't pretend that you're not delighting on Shabbat. And in the Yerushalmi, the Dat Rabbi, Rabbi Hagi, Hagai, Bishem, Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachman, he, they say in the Yerushalmi, the reason why Shabbat and Yom Tov was given so we should eat and drink and enjoy ourselves. Have some nice time. According to Rabbi the other opinion is that they were given so that we would have time to engage in Torah. He says in Sikta, the, 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 word, the um, opinions are opposite. Not only that, the Gemara Berachot says that the delight of Shabbat is one sixtieth of Olam Abba. These are not small things that we should say the Kohanim shouldn't be in a mindset to bless the people. Says anybody who, who, who delights on Shabbat, they give him all of that he wishes, all that his heart desires. Not to mention the fact that it says in the Gemara, God gives an extra portion of our soul to us on Shabbat. There's, we, we feel more alive on Shabbat. Which is not the case on Yom Tov. If that's the case, all of these ma'amare hazal, we can't say that all the kohanim don't feel at least some happiness on Shabbat. Rich and poor, they find a way to make the Shabbat special. As it says in the Gemara, even if it's with a, a piece of fish and some tradin is either beets or spinach, however it is you translate with some garlic, yeah, it's something a little bit special, a little bit more special than the regular week. If you do something special for Shabbat, that's delight. It's special. Papa says fish sticks. You have some fish sticks, some fried fish, you know. Fish and chips on Shabbat, fine. Because that literally means fried, small fried fish. Then the second thing that he wrote, that the Kohanim are always preoccupied with their livelihood and so on, and their galut, and because of that, they don't feel really happy. So you're going to tell me, what, you're going to tell me that on Yom Tov, they all of a sudden are able to manage their feelings and they can totally dominate themselves and control how they feel on Yom Tov? This is what he says, right? <laughs> all of a sudden, because it's Yom Tov, magic. They're not going to worry about their, their livelihood or their parnasa or, or their life situation anymore. And then because of that, they can do the Berkakonim with Simha. Please, what are we who are we talking? What are we kidding? Adraba, to the contrary. The holidays are the worst time in the world. Why? You have to pay more to be able to celebrate them. Not only that, he sees his family present, at least during the week. He's out at work, he doesn't have to see their misery. In front of him all the time. I don't know. When he's home on Yom Tov, he sees his wife and kids asking for bread. He doesn't have enough to provide them or whatever it is that his wife and kids are asking for. Nowadays, it might not be that they're asking for bread. They're asking for, uh, I don't know, FIFA. What do they ask for nowadays? I don't know what they ask for. Whatever they ask for. Everybody has their own uh, luxuries that they need to have. Give me, give me. I need, I need. That's all. They, that's what everybody says. So he's saying, like, do me a favor. It's the most miserable situation. What are we kidding? What kind of what kind of answers are these? This is a mitzvah de'oraita. You can see where he's going. If we're going to be true, and can we please be truthful? He's saying. I mean, if we're going to, the truth is the truth. 
The mitzvot are not given for states of mind and emotional well-being. Lo pelgura banana. Hachamim didn't differentiate in these things. The truth of the matter is, once you start that trip, you can exempt yourself from a whole lot of mitzvot. He says, the truth is, the menhag of my birthplace, Zion, right? all of the cities of Eretz Israel, and Egypt, and the other cities adjacent, like Halab and Damasek, and those, those cities and countries around Eretz Israel. The Kohanim had menhag to do Birkat Kohanim every day. So let's not mess around. Notice that he hasn't yet spoken about London and Amsterdam, which he said, remember, only does Birkat Kohanim, excuse me, On Yom Tov and Rosh Kippur. So he has to address that, of course. <clears throat> but you can see his setup over here is that he's not pleased. He's not pleased with the Menhag of London. And he doesn't endorse it. But he writes this. Very interesting. He says, look, the reason why London and Amsterdam, why don't they do it every day? He says, very simple. It's hard for them to get a minyan in the morning. Why? Because because the reality is that there's plenty of them that desecrate Shabbat. Of course, not intentionally. They have to take care of their parnasat, so they're forced to work on Shabbat. And so it ends up being that And so then it ends up being that the, when does everybody come to synagogue? They come to synagogue on Yom Tov. So that the mitzvah is not entirely forgotten from their community. And from the words of the Abu Farad, as a matter of fact, he says, being that we're talking about the Spanish and Portuguese, and it's very interesting because he throws this line at the very end, just as an addendum. He tosses it in there at the end. He says, don't tell me any of this is Spanish, not Spanish, Sfaradi, not Sfaradi. He says, you should recognize that the Abu Darham wrote that the Menhag Sfarad, the Menhag of Spain, that the Kohanim did Birka Kohanim every day. So notice, this is his entire treatment of London. He doesn't do what he usually does. What he usually does is he'll go into elaborate defense of the menagim of the community. Even when he doesn't really understand it, he'll look and find this one, he's not interested. He says, look, I have trouble finding a minyan. And if his reasoning is right, which it may, it may or may not be, well, if we have a situation where we get a minyan every day, which thank goodness, uh, we certainly do in at least some of our synagogues, then the reason is no longer there. And the reality is, is that indeed the, the Kohanim should properly do Birkat Kohanim every single day, even in the Spanish and Portuguese community. Especially since that's the Menhag of Spain, that's the Menhag of Eris Israel, that's how Harambam's posek, that's how Maran, Maran Shohan Aruch is posek. There's no reason not to. He says, now look, <clears throat> there's something about Amsterdam. He goes, let me explain to you the situation in Amsterdam. Okay. Situation in Amsterdam is that they have been had to do it on Shabbat as well. Yeah. So at the time that Hacham Gagin was writing this in London, we didn't do it on Shabbat. We only did it on Yom Tov and Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. In Amsterdam, they did it on Shabbat as well. Why did they did it on Amsterdam on Shabbat? Very interesting reason says they did it on Shabbat because, not like London, that only does it on Yom Tov. He says the answer to this question is written in, in the Divrei Hayamim, Divrei Yemei Israel. It's written in a history book by Heinrich Greitz. <laughs> he looked at Greitz's history, which is very famous, well-known. The Greitz, by the way, was a student of Rav Shamsham Rafal Hirsch. There was a whole special uh, situation between the two of them, which we won't get into tonight. 
He said the reason that they did this in Amsterdam was the Birkat Kohanim that they do in Amsterdam started when the Sfaradim in Amsterdam started to follow the messianic fervor of Shabtai Tzvi. What does one have to do with the other? The people thought, look, we're going to be going up to Jerusalem soon with Shabtai being the Mashiach and leading us all over there. And we're going to have a bit of Mikdash. And the Kohanim are going to start their service again. We better get the ball rolling while we're still here in Amsterdam and at least have them start the Birkat Kohanim. So they said they should start doing it on Shabbat. One of the reasons that I heard that they do it, and this is, this is recorded, as you'll see later, I'll quote it. Hacham Sasportas, in his Teshubot, wrote about this in, in, in depth, very extensively. And he says the reason they wanted to do it on Shabbat is because his name was Shabtai. And so in his honor, they started to do Kohanim on Shabbat, which would made it even more contentious, yeah? So, Aval Greats, Katav Now, Greats, it's important to understand that when he wrote this in his history book, he wrote it because that's what he heard. But he didn't know the source of the, of the, of the idea. But I, he says, uh, for the, my love of you, the reader, right? This is Hagagin speaking. He says, because I love you so much. I'm going to put down here the sources faithfully from their origins. You should know that in the, in the year Tafresh Sadi Aleph, Nasati Amsterdam. I went to Amsterdam. Why? I was working on my book and I wanted to include the Minagim of Amsterdam. So I went to go see myself what was going on in Amsterdam. Why? I wanted to see what they did, not one from what they wrote. I want to know what they were doing. So I went to go see it with myself. There, I sat with the, the secretary of the Kahal. And after looking into this issue of Nesiyat Kohanim B'Shabbat, about the Berkat Kohanim on Shabbat, he showed me a handwritten manuscript written in Portuguese. And in this book, I saw it was basically a record, a diary, a journal of the Sfaradim in Amsterdam, of their history, of you know what happened. And his the Mehaber was Rabbi David Franco Mendez. And it was written in this book in 1769, the following. And he he records the Portuguese. I'm not gonna embarrass myself and try to read the Portuguese. But he says, this is the Hebrew translation of the Portuguese. It says, In 1769, they, he's recording this. He's not saying this is the year that it happened, right? He's recording it in that year. He says, they established to be said on Shabbat, which was not the original minhag. We only used to say it on Yom Tov, like London. Of course, London followed that menhag uh, of Amsterdam. And every child that was born in the year that we established this menhag to do the Berkat Kohanim on Shabbat was called Shabtai or Natan. We either called our kid Shabtai or Natan, either after Shabtai Tzvi or Natan Azati, who was his second, his, his right-hand man. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. After I looked through, I also found that I saw it more explicitly recorded in Ohel Yaakov. Ohel Yaakov is the Shelot Shuvot, is the response of Hacham Yaakov Sasportas, who was Hacham, who was well known to be vehemently opposed to Shabtai Tzvi, right? So he dealt with this question because he was asked by the Ma'amad whether they should continue saying the Berkat Kohanim after Shabtai Tzvi was debunked. So there was a Sheila in uh, Sheila 68 and 69 that the Nishal Me'et David de Mercado, Rabbi David Mercado asked him about the Kohanim of Shabbat. And his Teshubah was to the Bnei Yeshiva. He wrote the Teshubah to the people in the Yeshiva of Keter Torah, which was the, yeshiva, the, Span the community's Yeshiva in Amsterdam. And this is what he wrote. She'elatchem ayta berkat Kohanim. Your question about the Kohanim that they have been had to say on Shabbat Kodesh, 
על כוונה ופנייה מוטעית, that they did, they established it on mistaken grounds. Why did they establish on mistaken grounds? They established it for Shabtai Tzvi. Yan, haberkat kohanim nitkena rak biyamim tovim ne shikulam semechim. Right? I mean, originally, the berkat kohanim was only established on Yom Tov because everybody was very happy. It's all chamsas portas. And since we got so happy that the Mashiach was coming, <laughs> right? They established that it should be said on Shabbat as well. So Hacham Gagin is saying you could look in the Ohel Yaakov, the whole extent of his back and forth. I read through these Teshubot, by the way. There's a whole, and in the first Teshubah, he says that it should be stopped. And then he changes his mind in the second Teshubah, he says, no, we'll leave it. So he goes to the Mahloket. Some of the Kahal wanted to nullify it. Once they found out once they found out Shabtai Tzvi became a Muslim, they didn't want to hold it anymore. They got disenfranchised, disillusioned. But there were other members of the Kahal that said, look, at least we're doing a mitzvah. You're going to tell us to stop doing a mitzvah? Rabbi Yaakov Bali Demaskana in the end, Hacham Sasportas came to a final decision, that they should keep it. And the reason why Hacham Sasportas wrote this in the Teshuvah, he says, look, at the end of the day, it's a mitzvah. And I'm not going to tell you to stop a mitzvah, even though it was started under false pretenses or, or, or faulty pretenses. And so that's what they do in M7. In his book, Kitsur Titzat Novel, which was his polemic against Shabtai Tzvi, he says they keep saying the Berkat Kohanim on Shabbat and they only do it because they're embarrassed to stop it because it will glare, it will be too glaring that they did it for the wrong reasons. They don't want to make a big deal about it. So they just want to like quietly keep it going. He says, look, they wanted to keep it, but the Ma'amad wanted to go back to the original Minhag and not do it anymore. They didn't want to keep it going because they felt that it would be like this monument of embarrassment that they believed in Shabtai Zvi once upon a time. And that's why, because there'll people ask, why do Berkakwanim on Shabbat? When you just do, and it'll be this horrible, embarrassing monument. And so the, the Ma'amad was embarrassed. They wanted to get rid of it, but the Kahal wanted to keep it. So the Hacham established that they should keep it. And the reason why they kept it is because Hamza Spordas, because he said that you could. Not only that, the real reason he says, I mean, if you ask me, says, says Hacham Sasportas, the Ma'amad also thinks it takes too long in the Tefillah. <laughs> So they want to cut the time down. He says, right, It's too much. So they wanted to go back. Look, they said, look, our original minhag anyway wasn't to do it. But the rabbis of Amsterdam at the time all felt that it was a mitzvah. And since we started it, we shouldn't stop it. Appropriately, you're not allowed to stop a mitzvah that you're doing and you're starting to do every day. So he says, look, and this little asterisk that he has over here, cute, it's cute, we're not going to go through it. He goes, look, since I mentioned Hacham Sasportas, I thought I should tell you a little bit about him. So he goes through a whole small biography of Hacham Sasportas on the bottom, you guys could read it. Then he says over here, My dear reader, I have given you I've given you the true sources of this minhag of Amsterdam to do Berkat Kohanim on Shabbat. Um, <laughs> he says his opinion, interestingly, Acham Gagin's opinion was that Acham Sasportas was wrong to keep it. And he said, even though it was a mitzvah, he says a mitzvah that comes from an avera is no good. He shouldn't, they shouldn't have done it. He believes that it is a monument to the sin. Amazing. That's Hamgagin how he feels. He says, this is a stain on the history of the Sfaradim that are otherwise filled with splendor and grace. It's a stain. 
mahfir, asher that cannot be removed. It's a terrible blemish and stain that can't be removed, he says. He goes, but their opinion is greater than mine. So he, in, in the end, he defers to Hacham Sasportas, but he takes major issue with Hacham Sasportas over here, and he says it was the wrong thing. He should have, he should have annulled it because it's a terrible stain. Fascinating, right? So this man was not afraid. He wasn't afraid. He goes, I just want to be complete at the end. I'm going to tell you exactly what's done in terms of when the Birkat Kohanim is done on the days that we said, right? So there are two uh, congregations in London. He says the two congregations of London and Amsterdam with regards to this. First, London, the Minahag of London is that the, the Kohanim only do Birkat Kohanim and Shahrit. And that is indeed our menhag till this day. We do not do Berkat Kohanim and Musaf. But Amsterdam doesn't have this differentiation between Shahrit and Musaf. In London, one of the reasons for that is because in, in London, we never say Hazara and Musaf. We always say uh, Musaf and Kolram. But on Roshana, there's a special Musaf, right? We, so we say Hazara. We do say the Hazara, and uh, in Ankipur we do, but because we never, we normally never say Hazara for Musaf, we only say it Ram, we obviously don't do Birkat Kohanim and Musaf. And so since we never do Birkat Kohanim and Musaf on the Yamim Tovim, we don't do it on Roshana Ankipur either. We just keep it out and keep it consistent. So we don't do it. Belandin me Amsterdam Kohanim Nosim Kabim Yom Kippur Shahri to Musaf, Vinaila, Avalobe Minha. But on Kippur, because there is a required Hazara of Kippur, and the Hazara of Kippur is different than the Hazara, than the silent Amidah of Kippur, we do the Berkat Kohanim in Shahrit, in Musaf, and in Ne'ila, but we do not do it in Minha. And that's the Minha of most of the Eastern communities, that they don't do Berkat Kohanim in Minha. Although the Halakha is, by the way, that if a Kohen goes up to the Dukhan at Minha, you have to do the Berkat Kohanim if he's already there, rather than tell him to get down. In London, the minhag is that Kohanim nosim kabim bepesach shabot sukot rak b'shachrit v'lo b'musaf. As I said, we only do it in shachrit. We do not do it in musaf. And that is our minhag till this day. Why? Because we don't repeat Amida. That's why. In Amsterdam, it doesn't mention this. Aval minhag v'eret Yisrael v'suria togarma misraim. The minhag v'eret Yisrael in Syria and Egypt and so on. Shakohanim gamken they do it in Musaf, as the Gemara requires, and so too was Posek Maran Aruch. And it's possible that in London, I don't have the end of it, he talks about it. In any case, the, um, he finishes it there. The Minhag today in London is to do Berkat Kohanim on Shabbat. We don't do Berkat Kohanim during the week, but we do Berkat Kohanim on Shabbat. The reason we do Berkat Kohanim on Shabbat is that... Uh, in the 90s, the Kahal had a strong influx of people who were Hoser B'Tshuvah. And they became very strong in their uh, Teshuvah. And they wanted to do Birkat Kohanim. And they asked and pushed that Birkat Kohanim should be done. And it ended up being that it was brought to a vote to the community itself, right? Because we have, we have a, a general meeting of the Kahal every year, right? And, uh, and it was raised by the Kahal, and the Kahal voted to, to do the Birkat Kohanim on Shabbat. And because the Kahal voted in that setting to do Birkat Kohanim on Shabbat, all of our synagogues do it. So Bevis Marks and Lauderdale Road and Wembley all do Birkat Kohanim on Shabbat because it was established in the Askamot that it should be done on Shabbat. Um, and so that's the Minhag today. And that is it. An interesting Teshubah of the Hacham. Thank you very much, Rav. Very, very interesting. I love the twists and turns, never knowing yeah, where no, things go. Yeah. Um, just a few questions before you go. Uh, there was some in the chat. There was one here from Daniel in Texas, Austin, Texas. Welcome. Uh, to drop off for a little bit, but why does it seem that following Shabtai's fee was more of a sin on Sephardim than Ashkenazim? Did more Sephardic communities choose to it follow? It was more of a sin. It was just that it was so contentious. It was a very heated thing especially in Amsterdam, because Hacham Sasportas was like a, a vehement op uh, opponent. 
to Shabtai Tzvi, even before he did the whole Islam thing and whatever it was. So it became a very, very hot issue in that, in that area. It was always a problem in, in all areas, but it became acutely so in Amsterdam because of Hakam Sasportas. And so people got very, very uh, you know, ashamed by it and so on and so forth. And since they had this minhag that they established in his name, it became like the thing to hang it on. And so that's why it became a very, very fiery and central thing. Okay, so it's really, it's kind of like that historical about the personalities involved. No, I mean, it, it's a nutso thing when you think about it. No, no, it's a nutso thing when you think about it. I mean, they may have been a little bit more self-conscious about it because they always saw themselves as being a little bit more refined and rational, <laughs> you know, and so it kind of exposed them. But I mean, uh, the phenomena, phenomenon of Shabtai Tzvi, I mean, it was nuts. The entire Jewish world, I mean, hook, line, and sinker. From Syria to Poland, they were just, it, it, was, it, was, it was unbelievable. I mean, the one interesting thing that comes out of it, or that I find in it, is that we really want the Mashiach pretty badly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it was remarkable, remarkable. Any other questions from anybody? It's funny, you recommendations. Have to also, we learn from the past, but when is the forgiveness and moving on from, pe from past mistake? Like, when do you do that? It's a very interesting thing. You know, on the books, by the way, comes to mind, coming again from the, the whole issue of Amsterdam. On the books, officially, I'm not allowed to mention um, uh, Spinoza from the, from the pulpit because he was put in harem. Right. Yeah, I could get in trouble if anybody wanted to get me in trouble, which they do, but <laughs> nonetheless, it's still on the books. Yeah. Joseph, you had a question? I uh, never learned about the incident of Subtitles V, although I know kind of what happened. Any recommended readings or something to watch? Maybe there's a class. Start with before? Google. Start with Google and, and go from there. You'll, fi you'll find it. Jacob Dweck has a fantastic book on it that I highly recommend. That's yeah. about Sasportas and his interaction with it. But... Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Uh, um, yeah, Noah's just named it. This is a rabbi showing Hacham Sasportas as the standalone figure against the Shabtai Svi. Fiasco. Okay, brilliant. Everybody, thank you so, so much. Rav, fantastic. Thank you so much for giving us an insight into a hacham from Al-Masara. Really, really beautiful to hear. Literally feeling like we're hearing him speak in the way that you, you are. You're just hearing him, unfortunately, in my, in my uh, you know, terrible... Not in Queen's English. English. Not in Queen's but nonetheless. Yeah. But um, thank you very much for that. Next week, we've got Diane Offer-Livnat here from the Sephardi Din of the United Kingdom. Uh, talking about the role of Midrash Halakha, the authority of Midrash Halakha. Um, and uh, we're really that it'll be Wednesday, yeah. next Wednesday. Good. So you have Diane Livnat next week. We're on good uh, we're on good trajectory. Wonderful to see everyone. Thank you for taking the time to share. And uh, I wish everybody a very happy Tubishvat coming up on Thursday. Thank you, everybody. Good night. Thank you, Rabbi. A pleasure.